Well, we're going to get into the, the message today. Like I said earlier, we uh, started a series in Mark a couple weeks ago. It focuses on the action of Jesus, that Jesus is action-oriented, that when he sees a problem, he doesn't sit idly by and, and let us suffer, but that he dives into it. That's sort of the, there's, there's four different accounts of Jesus in Scripture, and Mark is the first one written, and it's the most action-centric version of the story. And so we get to walk into that, and we get to walk into um, a Jesus who's active, who's at work, in and among us. Because a lot of times our impression of God is that he's on his own page way up there, separate from everything we've got going on, and we're just down here doing our best to figure it out and, and kind of uh, travel through life and, and, and all of that. But the, the message of Jesus is that God is with us in everything, in all of our struggle, and in fact, he's willing to go through the same struggle as well. So um, I'm excited for this, and, and especially, you know, I want to recognize today that there is definitely a heaviness in the air today, isn't there? Yeah. There is a heaviness in the world today. There's so much change going on so fast that it's hard to even process. And, uh, you know, 10 days ago, we weren't thinking about the things we were probably thinking about today, right? The fears, the war, all of that um, is new to us. And so I want to recognize that. And what I want to say today is that what we need in this time is passion for Jesus. What we need in this time is passion. I, I mean, you like me, when you were watching the news, I hope you too have been inspired by the passion you see. Um, from the Ukrainian army, the resilience of, of these people who are getting bombarded and their homes destroyed and their homeland devastated, and there is passion there. And uh, sometimes the things that we're passionate about, or we've been passionate about in peacetime, are a lot le smaller, right? We're not fighting for our survival, but we're passionate, you know, for the weekend, for a vacation, right? What's that song, Everybody's Working for the Weekend? You know, it's a good song, right? We're passionate for, you know, time off. And uh, when, when Bonnie and I go on vacation, we've learned we have totally different sets of expectations on what vacation should look like. Bonnie wants to rest and relax, and, and I want to go do a bunch of stuff. And over the last 17 years, we've had to figure out how can we meet in the middle. So, you know, there are other things that we might not be passionate about, but we still have to do, like taxes. This is your reminder, it's tax time. I know there's a lot going on in the world, but you need to do your taxes, okay? But even, here's the problem with taxes. Even if you're not passionate about taxes, you still have to do them, right? <laughs> and I hope that's not how you, what you feel about Jesus, that I need to go to church, I need to engage in, Bible, in my Bible, even if I don't feel like it. I hope we're not treating Jesus like taxes. What God wants us to have is passion for him. And before we get into Mark today, I wanted to uh, talk about passion from a biblical lens. What does God, what kind of passion does God want us to have? Jesus doesn't use the word passion a lot. Instead, in the Bible, it talks about being hot or cold, right? We're either hot in our faith, we're we're hot after Jesus, we're, we're hot in, in our pursuit of him and what he wants in the world, or we're cold, or we're lukewarm. It says this in Revelation 2, 
uh, God speaking to the church in Laodicea. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would, you, would that you were either cold or hot. Because, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. It's a good verse to start off with this morning. <laughs> All that to say the temperature of your faith really matters. It really matters whether you are hot or cold. You can believe all the right things about Jesus, but God cares about your heart, and if your heart is passionate for him. God wants us to have hot faith, and that's not a Christian mingle ad, by the way. I thought about that title. It's, okay, it's not, we're not eHarmony, not hot faith, nothing like that. That's not what we're talking about today. Um, we're supposed to have hot faith, like the temperature of our faith is supposed to be hot. Like, we're supposed to be passionate for God. And so often we can fall into this trap that it describes here in Revelation 2. We're rich, we've prospered, we're fine, we're secure. And what the Bible shows us is that security is false. If we build our security in anything else other than Jesus, that that security will fail us. It will fail us. If we say, oh, we're rich, we've prospered, we don't need anything, life is good, that is a trap according to what God is saying here. And as we've seen in Ukraine, once security is taken away, often passion comes out, right? Once security is taken away, the temperature of our heart rises naturally. We have to fight. We have to dive in. We have to be passionate. And it's the same in our faith. When all we're depending on is Jesus, that makes us more passionate for him. That makes us more passionate for him, and it raises the temperature of our hearts. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at two stories in the book of Mark and look at examples of hot faith. Again, that's not eHarmony. That's not Christian Mingle. But that's the temperature of someone's faith. And that's the question I want you to reflect on this morning as we go through these stories. What is the temperature of your faith? That's the real question. That's a real question we all have to uh, answer this morning. Go before God and answer, what is the temperature of my faith? Am I hot, cold, or lukewarm? And I recognize this morning that there, there are people here and online that may just be figuring this Jesus thing out. And my hope for you this morning is, is not to feel some sort of guilt, like, oh man, I'm, I'm missing it, but it's just to know, like, this is the kind of faith that Jesus is asking for. It's one that's alive and vibrant and matters and is life-changing and world-changing. He doesn't want us to live a passionless Christian life, a check-the-box Christian life, a pay-your-taxes Christian life. He wants us to live a life where we're constantly amazed by him. And so today we're going to look at two stories in the book of Mark, and the first one deals with a leper. It says this in Mark 140. It says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, 
But go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. All right, so let's set the stage for what's going on here. So Jesus started his ministry in a little town, lakeside town called Capernaum had about 1,500 people in it, and that's where Jesus started his movement. Jesus started his movement in this little town. He, he called his disciples in this little town before he went out to the rest of Judea, and so I thought about Capernaum, and I thought we should never think of our town as insignificant in God's plan. You know, we live in a small town, but if God, if Jesus can start his ministry in Capernaum, he can also use Blaine in big ways right? He can use our town, our space in big ways. You don't have to be in a huge urban environment for God to move powerfully in the place that you live. And I was thinking about the revivals of the last 100 years. A lot of them started in small communities. For whatever reason, God moves maybe quicker than in these smaller communities. One was in 1949 in the the Hebrides, which is an island in Scotland. Very very small, not, not many people there, and yet God used that to start a revival in Scotland. And so after Jesus called his disciples, he became a sensation in this small town. He became a really big deal. Like when I think of sensations, I think of Justin Bieber in 2009. All of a sudden I s- saw these bumper stickers and, and like cardboard signs that said like, you know, Justin Bieber... Bieber fever, remember Bieber fever? Belieber, yeah, all that stuff. So Jesus was even bigger than Justin Bieber. Can you believe it? In this little town. Um, But Jesus taught in a totally different way than people had heard before. He was healing people. He was casting out demonic spirits out of people. And he's doing all of these things. And it just brought this crazy atmosphere in this little town, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe all these amazing things are happening in our town. And so right before he has this meeting with this leper, he tries to get away from it all. It says he rose early in the morning and he went to a desolate place on a mountainside just so he could get away and pray. Like people were hounding him for what he could do. They saw his power and they wanted to get to Jesus. Right before that, his disciples had to find him and say, hey, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus said, okay, okay, I'll go, I'll go. So he goes back down, and the first person he encounters is this leper. And he came, it says, he, he came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. So I know leprosy isn't generally a thing today, so let's give a little bit of context for what is leprosy. I just want you to know, leprosy is really, really bad, Okay. It's really bad. Um, If we had a leprosy outbreak in Blaine, we'd probably be in hazmat suits, right? They'd be required upon entrance if you wanted to come in the door. Um, But it's, leprosy is a long-term terminal disease. Uh, It would take usually 10 to 20 years for someone to to catch it and and die. And it's it's, uh, a disease that would turn someone's skin from brown to white and scaly. Uh, open sores. Eventually, your, your fingers and toes would fall off. Your hands and feet would fall off. It was like decaying while you were still alive. 
It was really, really bad. And so if you were a leper, it was a death sentence. And you were sent away from your family. You were sent to live on the outside of the city walls in a leper colony. If anybody came towards you who didn't have leprosy, you had to shout out, unclean, unclean. So you were repulsive to the people around you. And so this leper knows what it means when we look at Revelation 2 to be pitiable, right? To be in despair. He was in despair. He was desperate. He had no hope. But he hears about Jesus who can heal, you know, who can do these things. No one else can. If, if this leper had a trillion dollars, he couldn't, he couldn't heal himself with a trillion dollars, right? He needed somebody who had supernatural power. And so he heard about Jesus, and he goes to him, and that word implored means he begged. He begged. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the message version of the Bible. It says, a leper came to him begging on his knees, if you want to, you can cleanse me. Begging on his knees. He's not demanding. He's not shaking Jesus and say, uh, clean me or else I know you can do it he's, he's experienced all this pain all this turmoil all this hurt and yet he still comes to Jesus and says if you want to you can do it if you want to you can do it is that like us when, when, when we hit pain in our lives sometimes I get really impatient with God right like fix it now but this, this man has experienced so much suffering and he comes to Jesus just saying, if it's in your will, God, you can heal me. You can make it right. You know, I was thinking this week about desperation. Because that's what I get when I look at the story of the leper. I sense a desperation. You know, we read that list in, in Revelation 2. What did it say? It said, we're wretched pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And sometimes we don't realize or we forget that that's who we are without Jesus. Right? That's all of us without Jesus, without a connection to God. That's our situation. And we can mask it sometimes by the things we have or our position in life or whatever, but without God, that's who we are. All of that was stripped away. All that mask was stripped away for this leper. He knew his condition. And he knew he needed to be desperate for Jesus. Only Jesus could save. A trillion dollars wasn't going to save him. The best doctors of the time couldn't save him. No one else could save him. And that's why you're desperate for Jesus, right? That's why you live with desperation, because only Jesus can fix the things that you can't fix. Only Jesus can heal. He can heal addiction. He can heal mental illness. He can stop wars. Only Jesus can heal. And I think it's, as I mentioned, there's heaviness right now. We've never really, I mean, maybe, may, maybe, maybe some, some of you have, but we never really had to wrestle with that thought of World War III, right? That's 10 days old, that thought, right? Like, that's 10 days on our mind. And it just goes to show, no matter how tall your fence is, you cannot provide security for yourself, right? There is no security in this world. There's nothing secure that can't be shaken or taken from you. you, you 
your life can be taken from you like that. And the reality is there's nothing in this life that's secure, and that's why we need to cry out to Jesus. This man's begging Jesus. That should be all of our posture, right? We should come to Jesus and ask him for healing. And it's not just because Jesus can, but it's because Jesus will. Jesus will respond. He's not begging someone who's trying to be withholding from him. He's going to Jesus because he knows that he can heal and that he's good. How did Jesus respond? It says that he was moved with pity, and he stretched out his hand, and he touched him. You don't do that, right? To, to a, a leper. I just described sort of the condition uh, that, 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 first of all, he, his body was in. He was grotesque looking. But then also, um, he was, it, he, it could be transferred. So there was fear, right? There was fear in touching a leper. But Jesus touched the leper, probably the first time he'd ever been touched in a long, long time. He was moved with pity. And he said, I will be clean. Jesus responds to our desperation for him. When we cry out, God responds. It's that way in, in Scripture, throughout the history of God, God answers the cries of his desperate people. Are we willing to be desperate is the real question. How desperate are we willing to be? But I also want you to keep this in mind, because we should be asking God for big things. But look at where this leper puts the, the will of God, the place he has for the will of God. He says, if you will. It's, it's like the Lord's Prayer, not my will, but your will be done. Even in my suffering, God, not my will, but your will be done. And so he, he leaves the decision up to Jesus, but he trusts that Jesus is good. And we see Jesus' heart in response, that he, he was moved with pity, and he says, I will be clean. That term, moved with pity, it means he had a gut response to the man's condition. There was a, there was a gut reaction. It was a deep compassion. It was a, it was a heart, real heartbreak, real grief that, this, that, that Jesus experienced. And we need to know that when we're in pain, Jesus feels that same thing for us. That he's not distant. He's not saying, figure it out. He's not saying, you all deserve this. He's moved with compassion. When Jesus was on the hill and looking over Jerusalem, it says he was moved with compassion because he, he saw the people as, a she as sheep without a shepherd, being beaten down by the world. He knows that we suffer. To be human is to suffer, and we've all suffered in our own individual ways, and Jesus has compassion for all of it. He's not looking over your shoulder saying, figure it out, man. He's in it with us. He wants to, he wants to touch the hurt. He wants to touch the hurt and heal. And so he didn't just say, be healed from a distance. He touched this guy and said, be healed. And that's important. And it says, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Jesus removed the death sentence 
over this man's life. He fixed it all. He allowed this man to enter back into community, family. Everything was restored, not just the physical body, but this, this man had a life again. Jesus gave him his life back, and he was healed. What we need to know is that our God is not small. And, and our God is not satisfied doing small things. And, and, and that our God can answer any challenge that we face today, in our, it, whether that's personal or global, right? We've got the whole spectrum today, but Jesus can take care of it all. And so what we need to make sure we know is where our real security comes from. Especially if we go through dark days, we need to know where our security comes from. Are we going to get lost and have exit plans and exit strategies? Or are we going to seek Jesus, cry out to Jesus, trusting that he can fix it and that he will fix it? And either way, his will is best. That, that, that uh, he, he's still in control. God is in control of our life and our world. And so that's where this idea of hot faith comes from. It comes from desperation. It comes from knowing who we are apart from God and realizing, I need him. I need Jesus to be my savior, to save me from death. I also need him to be my Lord and show me how I'm supposed to live. Show me where I'm supposed to go. Show me what I'm supposed to do. And that comes from desperation. And sometimes we put that hot faith in the wrong things. We put that hot faith in our version of America, or where we think America should go, or the past. That's not where our security should be. Our security should be in the person of Jesus. Our security is not in just finding a new job, a new city. Our do we can't put our hope in a doomsday bunker, doomsday prepper bunker somewhere, like, this will save me. When I was growing up, uh, my best friend had parents who were really into Y2K. Anybody remember Y2K? Oh, man. They told me that, okay, we need toilet paper for a year. So if you break that down, that's 365 rolls of toilet paper because you go through one per day. They had done the math. They had done it all, and they had this place out on the, on the mountainside, and it was all stocked, and I don't know where all that stuff went or how they ended up using all that. But we get freaked out in the world. And we need to know, the question is always going to be, where are we going to find our hope? Is it in Jesus, or is it in the strength of armies, or is it in the strength of ourselves? If it's anywhere other than Jesus, it's faulty. It's not going to last. So we need to put our faith in Jesus, because only Jesus can fix everything with one touch. Only Jesus can fix everything with one touch. And when this man experiences healing, and Jesus sends him away, he says, don't, don't tell anybody, I've already had a long day, okay? I don't need to see anybody else run into me. <laughs> he didn't want any more attention. The man could not stop from declaring what Jesus had done. He had this hot faith, and that heat spread around the community and brought others to Jesus. It says that people were coming from every quarter to see Jesus. So there's that story, and then it's followed up by this other story that we don't have all the time in the world to get to. 
Um, but in the very next story is a, is a man coming from an even more desperate situation, a paraplegic. Uh, can't move their arms or legs. He's lied on a mat for years. And Jesus is in his house. Apparently, Jesus lived in Capernaum for a time. So he's sitting in his house. It's jam-packed, wall-to-wall. Um, people just want to hear him teach. And, and all of a sudden, this happens. In Mark 2, 3, it says, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith... He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, Take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So it's like the leper story is almost like a precursor to this one like here's a desperate situation and here's an even more desperate situation a man who can't move who has to rely on four friends for everything and it's not just his faith it's the faith of his friends his friends had walked with him through this journey his friends had had cared for him and 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 they they lowered him on it uh on his mattress um, to Jesus. Basically, his friends had to do something really, really crazy to get to Jesus. All right? And sometimes our faith means that we have to make a scene. We got to be comfortable with that. If, if, if God's calling us to make a scene and, and make people uncomfortable, that's okay. Um, because what they had to do, so, so in those days, uh, you've got a flat, flat-roofed houses uh, made with these big uh, cedar posts And then they have some kind of mixture of, you know, I don't know, sand, like some kind of cement-type mixture, mortar, yeah, um, sand and mud and um, clay and all this stuff. And they kind of lather it in the post. They let it harden. And so what, what you have is there's this, you know, massive crowd downstairs. Jesus is sitting, just teaching people. They can't get to Jesus in the door with their friends, so they take him up on the roof, and they start digging digging into the house um, this is Jesus's house you know you don't damage Jesus's house like that's not cool but they're digging 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 and then they lower him on a mat basically like a hammock they lower him on on a hammock right in front of Jesus right as he's teaching just to get to him sometimes our faith will make us look silly and sound silly it, 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 we got to put ourselves out there sometimes, and this is what they did. Be, why? Because they were desperate. Yeah. They were desperate for their friend. They were desperate because they know that only Jesus could heal. Only Jesus could make it right. And so sometimes we allow obstacles to get in the way of our faith, right? We experience some pressure 
Uh, we experience some pushback. We experience a negative comment. Uh, we try to share our faith, and we feel, like, made fun of. We might ease back. But hot faith requires us to press on. And that's what these guys did. They got to the door. They saw the scene, and they saw there was no way in. And some of us, seeing that, we might, and I'm throwing myself in there, we might be like, might be like well, maybe Je I'm not supposed to see Jesus today. If the clouds don't automatically part, maybe, maybe he doesn't want to do anything right now. But these guys were so desperate that they ran up to the roof and dug out the roof and lowered their friend. They looked so silly, right? Looked so crazy um, doing that. And that's sometimes uh, where our faith will take us. It will take us to uncomfortable places where we feel like we're exposed, where we're out on the edge. It could lead us to go share the gospel in prisons, in, in homeless camps. It could lead us to give uh, in crazy ways, to do crazy things, to pray really boldly over people. And so for these men, it meant destroying Jesus's roof. <laughs> um, but I love what it says. It says that Jesus saw their faith, right? Jesus was motivated by their faith. He didn't, he didn't start complaining about the roof being damaged. Um, he, was, he saw their faith, and he honored their faith. And first he says that your sins are forgiven, which to Jesus is the bigger deal, right? That, that they would know that your sins are forgiven. You are made clean inside and out. He heals spiritually, and then he heals physically. He says to, to rise up and walk. It's also there's some other people there, some teachers of the law, teachers of the law who are sort of sitting back and watching the, the craziness of what's happening, happening and being skeptical. And, and, and it doesn't fit their grid. These, these are teachers of the law who've grown up. They know their Bible. They, 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 they know all about, you know, the Old Testament and what God's done and could quote you scripture. But when the moment, when they, when they met Jesus in the moment, they did not believe that, that uh, he could forgive sins. It didn't fit their grid. And um, what I, what I want to ask, or what I want to do today is just challenge us to think about this question. Is your faith built on what you already know, or is it built on the person of Jesus? Because we all have our own theological grid. And sometimes, often, we can put God in that box. God only operates in this box. But God might want to do things that blow our minds. He's God. He can do things that blow our minds. And he's alive today, and his spirit is in us to, to live in us and guide us where he wants to go. Because we, we trust in Jesus, who's alive and who is powerful. And so my challenge to us today is to not sit back in question, but to dive in and pursue Jesus with all our heart, to have hot faith, to pray for a desperate spirit, to allow your desperation to, to push you to Jesus, and not, not to try to figure everything out, because that's our temptation, right? We want control. We want to figure out what's going on with us in the world, everything. We want to just figure it out so we know. But that's not faith. Faith is trusting that Jesus is bigger than all of that. And trusting him with the future. Your future and the future of the world.
allow your desperation to push you to Jesus because you have today. You have today. You may not have tomorrow, but you have today to cry out to him, to cry out for his life, to cry out for healing, to cry out for change. So that is what we want to do. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before you today, and God, we ask you to, to fill the room. Lord, we ask you to fill our hearts, to give us confidence in your power. Lord, I just confess today that I've put you in that box. And Lord, I just pray that you break that box for me and break that box for us. If, if we see you as small or uninvolved or uninterested in the things going on in our lives or in our world, God, help us to break that box. Lord, we serve a big God who's involved intimately in our lives and in our world. And Lord, we pray for faith to meet our moment, God. We pray that you would strengthen our faith and that you would increase our desperation and passion for you. Lord, I pray that we would be a community full of passionate hearts. God, full of hearts that cry out to you, that seek you, and that experience amazing things. Lord, we believe that you want to do amazing things here, even in small towns like Blaine. And like Capernaum, you want to do amazing, amazing things. And so we pray, God, that you would uh, just make an impact today in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take communion together. That's our response. Uh, communion is, is something that Jesus told his followers to do to remember him. Uh, to remember that the bread represents his body broken for us. The juice represents his blood poured out for us. It's where we find our spiritual healing is right there. And, and what we're going to do today is we're going to take communion. And, and one verse I love that talks about communion is, is in uh, 1 Corinthians. It said, as often as we take the bread and take the cup, we proclaim Jesus until he comes. So it's part of how we proclaim our faith in Jesus is by taking communion. It's an expression of our faith. And I also want you to know today, if you want prayer, uh, if you want prayer for, for courage, if you want prayer for faith, if you just need prayer, whatever it might be, you, that you can come forward, and Stephen's here, Karma's here, we would love to pray for you. Um, and, and, and as we take communion today, I want to challenge you to just have some time, you and God. Um, I'm not going to come back and, and have us all take communion together. This is a time for you to, to talk to Jesus, to reflect on your heart, to remember what he's done for you, and, and take it personally while the worship team leads us. So I'm going to pray for that, and then we're going to go ahead, and as you feel led, come and take communion. Jesus, we again just come before you, and, and Lord, I pray as we take communion that you would remind us of how much you spent to reunite us with you, that you didn't withhold anything from us, even your own blood and your own body, but you were willing to give it all up so that we could experience life, not just now, but forever. So Lord, I pray